Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Let It Be Easy. I'm your host, Lisa Sanchez, certified leadership and life coach, Reiki practitioner, and recovering overachiever. Not everything in life can be easy, but this podcast is about seeing how some things don't have to be as hard as we think. This podcast is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my practice where I offer coaching and other resources to help you trust your intuition, design a meaningful life, and create fulfilling work. You can find out more at the-cocoon.co. Hello, dear listeners. Today, I am so happy to introduce you to a wonderful guest. Her name is Karina Harris. She's a jewelry designer in San Francisco, and she is the owner of Waffles and Honey. You can find it at wafflesandhoney.com, and you can also find her on Instagram at wafflesandhoney. I wanted to just share with our listeners a bit about how we met. We just met briefly at Spirit Weavers, um, which is this beautiful gathering of women in Oregon. It was my first time there. Had you been there before? No, it was my first time as well. It just so happened that both of us signed up for the earthenware pottery workshop with pit firing. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. So cool. (laughs) Yes. And I got to sit next to you as we were beginning and and making our pottery. And I thought, oh, you have such a wonderful, beautiful energy. And you shared a bit about your story. And I thought, oh, I have so many clients and listeners who would just, I think, be really inspired by your your path into your craft and what you do now. So yeah, I just wanted to ask you about it and record. Oh, well, thank you so much. I felt the same way about you, Lisa. And it was such a gift to be so present and have an activity that we were just there to sit for four hours and really use our hands and be able to connect and talk. And I was so drawn to your energy as well. And I figured you must be a coach of some sort because you were so good at asking me questions. I was like, this woman is magical. So I was very excited to hear what you did and to reconnect post spirit weavers. So thank you for reaching out. Absolutely. And actually, I wonder what was it like for you to sit for four hours working with clay, considering that you are someone who works with your hands? Yeah, it was it was very humbling, as I'm sure you share that sentiment with me. A lot of the women in the circle shared that. And that was my intention for taking that class. I really wanted to do something that was some sort of artistic art form, but that was really outside of my wheelhouse. And it was very humbling. I'm used to being able to create exactly what I want with the materials in front of me. And I'm pretty good at it for doing my craft for so long. And I knew that it was going to be a challenge, but I didn't know quite how difficult pottery was. And it was one of those classes that I've always been curious about pottery in general, but would never have in my normal life taken a day out of my out of my life to go take a pottery class to make a cup. So it was the perfect 
kind of alignment to be able to do something like that and to be really humbled and slow down and flow with the process that what I have in my head is not necessarily going to be what I create with my hands. And that is a new feeling in terms of working with my hands and creating art every day. Yeah, I empathize so much. I felt that right away. Like, okay, there's going to be a big gap between what I can imagine with clay and what I am going to create today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that's why I was like, you know, when I get really in the zone and I'm, I'm good at it, I think a lot of people are like this. I get really focused, you know, but I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to be, this is going to be hard. So I might as well just make a friend next to me. Like, <laughs> you know, like if I was like, I'm going to make this cup and it's going to look just like this. And I was actually being successful. I probably wouldn't have been so chatty, but I was like, oh man, this is the, this is the longest class ever. <laughs> yes. It was so nice to be in that together, to be like facing these, this very humbling process side by side. I think, you know, almost all of us in that workshop were beginners with clay and having to embrace beginner's mind. And, you know, really, it was so interesting to me how many, how much internal work was happening as we were all just, if you looked at us from afar, you'd be like, oh, there's, that's nice. They're all playing with some clay. (laughs) (laughs) There was some hard internal work happening there. And it's like, for me, such a positive memory, like such a beautiful setting outside and, and meeting other lovely people. Yeah, I agree. I really felt very quickly like my way of operating in my normal life and my patterning really emerge of like, am I doing this correctly? Am I doing it perfectly? Wanting to control the process, right? Those are themes in this lifetime that I work with daily. And it was so therapeutic to be in nature, sitting on the ground with this clay and seeing that energy in me come up and then pausing and being like, Karina, this is fun. You're playing with clay. Like you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to control it. And that kind of juxtaposition of those internal energies and that coming up so strongly and me really wanting guidance from the teacher, from Hasana and really wanting her to help me. You know, it was, it was a very stark contrast to just the playfulness of being, being there to make whatever came out of our hands. And it was the practice of letting go, which I'm learning all the time, every day, reminded. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I'm thinking now about how as a beginner, it's like we're kind of forced to grapple with that, right? Mm -hmm. Then sometimes when we achieve some level of mastery in something, like we forget that it can be okay to like, for when something's hard or we're trying to learn something new in that discipline or something is not perfect to come back to that beginner's mind of like, oh, it's okay. It's okay that it's not perfect. And maybe I can still have fun with this process. So well put. Yeah, that resonates pretty deeply. Well, I'm wondering if we could go way back to when you were an employee and uh, you first discovered your craft, what, what was happening in your work and life and just how, how was this born? 
Absolutely. It's so fun to think about the beginning, so much excitement and possibility and also fear. (laughs) But from this place I sit in now, it's fun, you know, to look back. So that beginning, it was somewhere between 12 to 13 years ago. The beginning is hard. It was pretty blurry. I was kind of always an artist. I always was creating, grew up in a really creative family full of musicians. So that was always there. But the beginning of of waffles and honey jewelry was I was working at Oracle at a big tech company here in the Bay Area. And it just it wasn't I it wasn't me. It wasn't it was I was in sales and um it it wasn't my energy. But I always like novelty and I love people. And so I, I was just kind of making it work. I was in my early 20s. I just moved home from Europe. I had my first job in Spain. So I was living in Spain for a few years. I came back to the Bay Area and I just jumped into a job that I figured I should do. Everyone, all of my peers after graduating university were working at Google or Facebook or Apple or a huge tech company. So I was like, okay, I'll just do that. That's what we do here which I know comes with so much privilege to be able to say that that was the norm, is the norm, but that's really what my peers were doing. So I got this job and I really, it really wasn't, it wasn't me. Like my essence of who I am and just being so creative and much more in feminine energy than like this really masculine corporate old tech structure. It just was not my energy, but I started experimenting with a bunch of different, I guess, modalities, different types of art. So I started watching YouTube videos at night, after work, on my lunch break, sometimes when I was supposed to be working. And I would watch YouTube videos on how to make paper, how to bake cakes, how to do different quilting techniques, like really anything. And YouTube back then, 2011, 12, was fairly new. It wasn't quite as mass uh, mainstream as it is now. And so I was not familiar with the fact that when you watch a piece of content, it will feed you a similar linked piece of content. And I just started getting fed all of these videos that I, you know, I would be watching wanting to learn how to make my own paper. And then it would lead me to a flower drying video. And I was like, what's this? And so I just went down for months, this kind of rabbit hole of YouTube videos. And eventually it served me up a jewelry making video. And it was pretty timely because at the time I was my first job. So I wasn't making a ton of money. I wasn't super high up in the company. And I was one of uh, less than a dozen women on a sales floor, 500 men. And I looked around. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not my preferred energy. But I looked around at what the very few women on my floor were wearing. And I they were all really wearing the same thing. And I was like, okay, I want to look like them. I want to fit in here. And they all had this, I don't know if this was popular um, where you were in 2011, 2012, but this J. Crew bubble necklace. This is <laughs> big statement, plastic necklace. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes. <laughs> I feel like that was like an iconic 2010s piece that like everyone owned, at least in the Bay Area. And I wanted it, but it was $98. And at the time I was like, that's first of all, no. And second of all, I could make that. Like I grew up with this mentality. And so I went to Soma in San Francisco and went to the bead shop that my mom would take me to growing up. 
And I talked to the lady and I was like, this is what I'm trying to do. She was like, these are the pieces you need. And I quickly learned that you can't purchase individual units. You have to buy the pieces by the dozens or the hundreds. So I walked out of the store with enough material to make 50 of the exact same necklace. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I really started just because I wanted to look like the other women. I wanted to uh, fake it till I made it kind of kind of energy. And I wanted to make something. So I made the first necklace. It looked kind of Frankenstein-y, but I wore it. And I started asking the few women on my floor if they wanted one too, because I had 50, <laughs> all of the same color, not like all different variations that I could wear every day, you know, 50 Navy necklaces. I still have one actually. I kept it in our <laughs> office because it's like the birth story of the company, right? Yeah. And uh, eventually some of the women that I, I went to other floors too, right? Because I ran out of women. There's less than a dozen on my floor. I went to other kind of departments and floors within Oracle and chatted up with the women in the cafeteria. I was like, do you want this? I'm trying to offload it. I have so many of these. And they started asking how much it costs. And I was like, no, I just, please take it. Like they're all over my bed. I'm like needing to sleep on the floor because the jewelry is all over my bedroom. Right. And um, that really kind of sparked a light bulb in my brain when they started asking how much it costs. And I was like, oh, I guess I could sell this. And that's really kind of the birth story of me realizing that people wanted what I was making. I could make money off of it. And it became a completely new creative endeavor. It wasn't just the creativity of the necklace. It was the creativity of structuring the pricing, structuring the branding, structuring. And I wasn't doing it trying to make a company. That was never, ever, for years, that was never what I thought I was doing the entire time. I was just having fun. And I was at Oracle still. I was still working full time. But that was that was really kind of like the fire and the excitement for me was the create the entirety of the creation around not only the product, but the whole business. And it was so much fun for me. Oh my goodness. That is so beautiful how it seems like it was quite organic. You just kind of following your curiosity, also following the serendipity of the YouTube algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> Just rolling with that. And, you know, it makes me think a lot about something that happens with my coaching clients. When someone is like wanting to make a change or they realize their current work isn't aligned for them, then there's often an internal pressure to figure out, well, what is the thing though? What am I going to do instead of this forever? And I need to find it out now. And Often, I will guide them toward a period of exploration and discovery and play to as much as they can taste different things, try stuff, you know, in whatever bite-sized form you can, whether it's even just maybe it's something you can only read about or watch something about or, you know, try for an afternoon or talk to someone who does it, just like going broad and getting a taste of lots of different things before really committing to something. Mm, I love that. I really think that's where creativity and new ideas are birthed in that space. Yeah. Well, also very cool that like you were officially working in sales and actually 
what you ended up doing was like selling your yeah. work. <laughs> I mean, it seems like actually you're pretty good at sales. <laughs> I love sales. Yeah, I really do. I love connecting with people. And uh, growing up, that was something that I was introduced to. My dad is such a Gemini. He's such a hobbyist of everything, you know, and he's a beekeeper among many things. And he had a honey company and he named it after me. And uh, I was the main salesperson, seven years old on the corner, you know, in front of the elementary school selling our honey and loving it, you know, and and I just feel like that awareness of my love for sales and people and service was birthed through that honey company, which is still around. And I still love selling honey, you know, <laughs> I just love when people get, you know, I sell sugar and diamonds, like what's better? <laughs> That's amazing. What, what could be sweeter? Exactly. Exactly. Everyone's always happy to see me. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> So if you're if you don't know what to do, pick an industry that makes people smile. <laughs> it yeah. makes because it makes you feel really good because everyone wants to be in your energy and your product. So yeah, yeah, it seems like you have that light and sweetness in you, and then you've matched what you do to that to magnify it even more. Thank you, Lisa. I wonder, honey, the childhood with selling honey does that factor into the name? Of Waffles and Honey? It does. Yeah. It um, So Waffles and Honey was named after my childhood pets. My dog's name was Honey, Corgi. Her name was Honey Bunny. And my cat's name was Waffles. And everything growing up had a bee honey theme. Mm -hmm. Well, when you shared it with me while we were working with Clay, I remembered it. Like it was very memorable. So I was able to find you oh. afterwards. <laughs> And um, yeah, I, you know, I'm curious. So it seems like there was quite a period of time where you didn't realize you were starting a business. Yeah. And so what was it that kind of like tipped you over the edge? Like at what point did you leave your job? And yeah. Yeah, that story, the whole thing is looking back is really quite magnificent and guided, you know, as is most of life when you pay attention and look backwards, I find. But that came to be firstly out of frustration, which I think a lot of things are born out of excitement or frustration. Those are kind of what I find in my life. And the frustration came when I was hitting a wall creatively and I was seeing things on YouTube and things just paying a lot of attention to jewelry, really obsessed with watching jewelry videos and learning and came probably 18 months in, maybe two years in probably 18 months. And I just kind of had hit my, my max ability of learning with the tools I had, with the knowledge I had off the internet. And I really wanted to be able to make what I was seeing and that I, I just didn't have the skill level or the tools, quite frankly, that I hadn't invested in yet. And I was really scared to make that leap. And I still wasn't considering myself as like, I was considering myself a hobbyist, which was a change from not even claiming anything like it's also a pattern of mine. It's like, I, I don't claim it until I feel like I'm fully worthy of it, which is probably like years too late. But anyway, I wasn't claiming it. And I was really frustrated. And I remember I was doing exactly what you were saying earlier is that I was still working at Oracle, but in all of my free time, every moment of my free time, I was exploring things that really lit me up. I 
came across a co-working space in Hayes Valley in San Francisco that had just opened up. It was a creative co-working space. I'd never heard of a co-working space before. And um, it was only of creatives. And I walked in there and you could rent out a desk. And I was just looking at what was on everyone's desk. There were printmakers and there were tattoo artists and ceramicists and painters and jewelry makers and everyone's desk had all of these materials and equipment and I was blown away and they were all in one room together and I was like this is where I want to be but I felt like such an imposter you know working in tech having what I thought was just this little rinky dink kind of hobby and I was so intimidated but my my soul my whole body wanted to be in the room it didn't want to leave that room And so I tried to figure out how to get back in that room and I signed up for their newsletter. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't early on. I really didn't have like the confidence to commit to investing in myself, I would say is the best way to put it. And so even like paying to be a monthly member, I think it was a hundred dollars. You didn't get a desk at the co-working, but you got to like be invited to the events. I wouldn't even want to do that. I was like, no, because I'm in corporate America and like, I'm not really doing this seriously. You know, I had this story signed up on their email list. And then I, the first email I got, of course, universe, the very first email was on the front page of the email. It said in a little teeny corner, it said, do you do jewelry as a hobby and want to turn it into a business? If so, come to this talk on Friday. And I was like, wait, (laughs) oh my gosh, this was literally the frustration. This was the frustration that I was essentially praying out into universe without knowing it. Like I was like so frustrated. I was like, I just need guidance. I just need help. I don't know how to do this. And I want to do it so badly. And I'm too scared to like ask, you know, so it like landed in my lap. I made the move to like align myself and be in the room where I wanted to be. And then this opportunity came and I went and I met my mentor who is still my mentor. I had coffee with her two days ago in Sausalito, 11 years later. And that was a game changer. She and her co-founder ran a coaching group called Flourish and Thrive Academy. It's still around. If you're interested in jewelry, highly recommend it. Tracy runs it now. Like instrumental in my journey. Absolutely. Mentorship and coaching is was the absolute ingredient to launch me into where I am now. And that was kind of the that was kind of it. It was I met her, I listened to her. She was saying she just was saying everything that I had been frustrated with and she blew my mind. And looking back, I was like, Oh wow, that was pretty basic. But at the time it was the message I needed to hear, you know, she was the messenger and she had this coaching program. I really wanted to do it. It was $10,000. They said I wouldn't even spend a hundred dollars a month, you know, it was $10,000. And uh, it was essentially like everything. It was a year-long program and it was heavy touch and how to price things, how to do branding, how to do this 2012, 13, like how to sell on Etsy. So just like the confluence and the support, that alignment that like universe was giving me just over and over and over and over and over to just support me where it was it was really hard for my ego to like come up with reasons that it wasn't possible. Mm. It was constantly showing me reasons why I was in the way. And that became clear early on. And that has been kind of my mantra. And when I coach other female creatives, business owners, I just say that a creative business is a spiritual experience. 
It's not about business. Mm-hmm. It's completely mm-hmm. spiritual. Like, especially when you're a solar entrepreneur, every decision you make later on down the line, when things are going awry or things are going great, you look at the outcome and you're like, wait, I created that. Like, where was I when I created that? It's such a mirror. It's like, did I create that out of fear? Did I create that out of alignment? Is it working? Is it not? And if you pay any attention at all, in my experience, it's pretty confronting. It's such a mirror. It's like Mm -hmm. such a growth, internal, spiritual process, owning any sort of business, but especially alone and a creative one where you're birthing things in the world and waiting for the world's reaction, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to your creation. Oh my goodness. That what you're saying resonates with me so much. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about how it it applies to really any leader, anyone who's leading a team, and even more so to founders of all sorts of companies. How, you know, and this is why it is so helpful and important for leaders to have coaches and yeah. people around them who are being that mirror showing them the things that their blind spots or, and also reflecting back their strengths too, Mm -hmm. so that they have a heightened self-awareness of everything they are, where they're at and how that is influencing the culture they're creating, the products they're creating, the the, um, impact they're having on the world, because it has such a ripple effect when you are creating a product or a business or a team. So well put. I agree with every single word you just said. It's mentorship is is crucial. It's really crucial for so many reasons in whatever form the mentorship takes. It's mm-hmm. so you can't do it alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, how you were describing it's like almost magical how the alignment and the timing of everything that was coming together for you. And it makes me think about Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She talks a lot about synchronicity Mm -hmm. and it's like being kind of being open and like taking action in a way that is intuitive that's trusting, Mm -hmm. that's loving towards yourself and your inner creative. Like, I'm just going to, like you said, well, I want to be in that room. I'm going to kind of put myself in that room or like get close to it. You know, (laughs) it's a very, that is very intuitive, very like heart led, very visceral. It's not a intellectual problem of like, I am going to figure out exactly what are the steps to get from point A to point B. It's like, I'm going to open up to a sense of possibility, despite sometimes feeling imposter syndrome or whatever inner obstacles are there, like acknowledging them, practicing the courage to, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't feel ready to invest in myself or like get the whole membership I'm going to get as close as I can. <laughs> Just yeah. See what happens. So I was going to ask you about support and it sounds like your mentor has been a big support in this specific program that you did. So I'm, I'm like really now really frustrated with my corporate job. I've signed up for this mastermind and it is like a full-time job. 
getting through all this content that they're fire hosing at us, which was strategic. <laughs> it wasn't like there was something wrong with me. Although at the time I thought there was, you know, I thought I was like, oh, I don't belong here because I'm so overwhelmed with the amount of content. And so I'm really mad at Oracle at this point, which is paying my rent, which is paying <laughs> for my life, you know, and I decide to, uh, I needed to have this surgery, this foot surgery. And I was like, okay, great. Oracle will pay for it. You know, like I'll take a, I'll take a medical leave it, and I wouldn't be able to walk or work for six weeks. So I'm doubling down on cursing Oracle. And the day I get back from my six weeks medical, I get a pink slip because <gasps> my prayer was so potent <laughs> that I, um, they they dissolved my department and they were like, we're going to move you over to marketing. And I was thinking, I don't like this place anyway. And now you're going to move me to a department that I never asked to be in. Like, this is the worst. And I had this moment of like, I guess this is your fate. I guess this is you just go to marketing, you know, and this like very victimy energy of like, this is what's happening to you. And it was a great six weeks. And I guess now you're stuck again, you know, and my mentors and at the time, my partner, my ex-partner, who was a serial entrepreneur, is a serial entrepreneur. Those were the three energies, people in my life that were like, what are you doing? You, you have set the stage, you've invested, you have built a website and all these platforms and you're doing all of these events and shows and you have a customer base and you're selling, you know, what are you what are you doing? Just leave, like jump. And that was terrifying. The jumping, I was like, I can't, I can't jump. I've never, you know, my rent, I live in San Francisco. Like I, I can't do that. And it was, it was like a two week process of me fighting this. And I noticed that I knew the voices in my community that would support me. And I knew the ones who would support my fear. And I noticed what I was doing was I wasn't going to the people that I knew would tell me to stay at Oracle. I wasn't telling them what was happening. My parents, most of my friends, I didn't tell them that. And I'm very close with my family. I only asked my mentors and my ex-boyfriend over and over and over again what I should do. That was the only counsel that I sought because I knew what I wanted, but I was too scared to do it. Anyway, the time came and I had to make the decision and I decided, I learned that you can get severance. I had no idea. I'd never been in a job before. I had no idea what severance was. The severance package was like one month's rent and two months of medical benefits. It's like, it was like nothing. You know, it was like one, one paycheck was to live in San Francisco. That wasn't a lot of a runway. And I was like, that's enough. That is great. And I'm really Virgo. I'm really earthy. So I didn't, I pulled out spreadsheets. My partner and I at the time, made a spreadsheet of literally every single expense, how much we spend on coffee, how much I spend on dental floss per month, how much toothpaste I use and like down to, because I was so panicked. I was so scared. I was so convinced it wasn't going to work. And I was going to come back with my tail between my legs and have to go back to corporate America and that my parents and everyone would be right. And so created the structure that made me feel safe. And I saw the numbers and looking back now, I would not do it again. Those numbers were not very <laughs> healthy numbers, but I wanted so badly to do it. And, you know, I was in my mid twenties. I didn't have kids or mortgage or anything. So I was like, this is the time, like, I'm going to do it. I was told I still have a job waiting for me at Oracle. My boss said, when this jewelry thing doesn't work out, not if, when you can come back with your job, we'll hold your job for you. And that motivation 
of her not believing in me and telling me that when I needed to come back, I'd still have a job. I still think about that. And I'm like, I wonder if they still have my job. <laughs> I wonder if they're holding my job <laughs> 12 years later. <laughs> because I was so I was so determined and stubborn. And I was like, I'm not going back there and I will show mm. them, you know? Mm. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> I empathize with that so much also in my twenties. And then, and then again in my thirties too, just, <laughs> I, I can think of two conversations I had with bosses where I was like, I'm quitting to go join a startup, a, to- a very unproven thing, you know, that no one's heard of. Hmm. And then each time it was like a deja vu each time the man across from me said, do you have any idea what kind of risk you're taking <laughs> both times. And I look, I, re, I remember at the time, I didn't, I don't know what I said at the time, but I just remember thinking, yes, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> I know what kind of risk I'm taking. I know what I have to lose. And it's actually not that much. <laughs> And I, I know what I, I know what I have to gain, like perhaps more fulfillment, perhaps learning, perhaps like adventure, uh-huh. all kinds of things that I'm not getting here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sure. Maybe I will come back with my tail between my legs, but I will have been somewhere, you know, <laughs> I'll have something to show for it. I love it. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So I wonder if we just fast forward to more recent times, like now your creativity has also become your business and your livelihood Mm -hmm. for a long time now. How do you nourish your creativity? Mm, Such a great question. And something that I've had a constant relationship with, sometimes the more uncomfortable relationship with. And I think that, you know, most recently by doing things like spirit weavers and taking pottery classes and being open, that's kind of my newest attempt at changing the relationship with keeping the creativity fresh. I get a lot of creative inspiration from conversations and people and a lot of the time also out of kind of forced situations, you know, COVID really was a situation that forced so many of us to live and think differently and exist differently. And I'm, I'm no exception to that. And I, during that time frame, it was really a time to reflect and really admit where I was in the business, which the business was thriving and I was super burnt out. And, and it was a journey back to creativity, connecting to what I wanted to do, which I'm still on, you know, it's like always just always changing, especially when, you know, you're so like, you're a maker when you have this energy of like, and this perfection energy too. But yeah, connecting with how I can do things differently in the business also keeps my creativity alive. Like I'm not just inspired creatively by art. I'm inspired by the way people live and express themselves. And I'm inspired by how people deal with suffering and joy. And I'm inspired by bravery and, you know, the human experience. And that was really came to the forefront during COVID. And it was really humanized so much. And and so that's something that really informs my art, my interest in where I'm going in life in general, what I want to create, how I want to exist. 
who I want to be connected to. And that, ins- yeah, that inspires, that inspires like holistically all of what I do. And it's hard for me to kind of separate my, my craft from myself. Like I have always been this way. I've always created, I've always been a deep seeker, a deep feeler, um, in- highly intuitive. And there's endless inspiration in, in that if you choose to go on that journey and sometimes be brave and go on that journey and do some self-reflection. Yeah. It's endless. <laughs> yeah. Beautifully said. And I think, you know, it's sort of like we've touched on like the bookends here of your path, like that exhilarating and terrifying beginning. And then to more recently touching on something like burnout and like reconnecting with where you find inspiration and recalibrating how you want to approach things. I think it speaks to how like there are just seasons in our our paths as creatives, as leaders, as business owners. It is okay for there to be times where we're pushing really hard and it's like not sustainable sometimes. Sometimes intuitively that is is right. And then also there are times where, you know, we need to pull back and like, you know, be in burnout or some type of fallow period that brings us a new type of perspective and, and ushers in like another period of growth. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's a lot. It's, it's, I think one of the highest level skills that I've developed on this over decade long journey is understanding the rhythms and the seasons and not fighting them and going in life in general, knowing when something is over and gracefully stepping away, knowing when something isn't complete, knowing when to push and knowing when to step back. And from my experience, when you do something long enough and you pay just a little bit of attention, you do see the patterns. And I interact very differently with my business now than I did the first even seven, eight years, you know, we're on year 11 and COVID really shook things up. But even before then, I was starting to be like, you know, these are our slow months and I have to work three times as hard to get half of what we make in this, these faster months, you know, and like, it's okay. And before I used to be like, something's wrong with me. I'm doing it wrong. I'm not creating art that people like sales are down, you know, and that was part of the process. I needed to go through that. I needed to go through realizing that like the self-blame and internalizing things that I couldn't control was a pattern and mm-hmm. a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely knowing when it's time to push even makes when the burnout comes, like, as you said, I love that. Like there is an intuitive time to push, even if it leads to some burnout, but it's strategic and there's a reason behind it. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel versus just constantly burnout, burnout for years and years, just pushing and pushing. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, this, I know this is going to end the day after Christmas shipping cutoff after engagement season. I know this is going to end for now. You you ride it, you ride the wave, you do the thing, (laughs) and then you rest. And when it's resting, you don't work. Like when it's resting, you rest and you remember what you just did, where before I wouldn't rest, I would very quickly choose to forget what I had just accomplished, not celebrate what I had just accomplished, move the carrot, move the goal, beat myself up 
for not being at the school that I had just moved. And I was so addicted to that pattern. I loved doing it to myself, you know, it created a sense of safety, control. And after, yeah, half a decade, a little bit more, I was like, wait, <laughs> I could do it different. Yeah. And it feels a lot better. So, but it takes a lot of years and pattern recognition for me to understand the seasons and flow mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working with those seasons, it's just a lot more human. Sometimes we expect of ourselves to be like a machine operating at peak capacity consistently forever. And then sometimes our environments or company or society expects that of us. And so, yeah, I think it's really beautiful that you've been able to learn that and work with that in your, in your own, your own work and life. Well, that feels like a beautiful note to end on. So as we say goodbye, I also just want to let all of you dear listeners know about a little gift from Karina. If you would like to check out her beautiful work at wafflesandhoney.com, you can use the code COCOON20 to get 20% off. I hope you'll check it out. I hope you enjoyed this interview. And if you would like to talk about it, share your thoughts, share what resonates with you, uh, feel free to leave a comment in Substack. Um, This podcast is hosted on Substack, so that's where we can create a little community and conversation. Before you go, a few final notes. First, if you have a topic or question you'd like me to cover, I would love to hear from you. Just send me a note at podcast at the-cocoon.co. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you use to listen. And if you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. That's one of the best things you can do to show your support and encourage me to keep going. Until next time, let it be easy.